if the fans hate you, you're doing something right because they don't hate like the guy that's not that's not doing anything against them. That's you know the guy on the bench. On this episode of the Great Point Podcast, former Florida great Matt Walsh explains what it was like to be a high school superstar, why he loved playing with the Gators under Billy Donovan, what it was like to ride around in the car with Shaq, and tell some great stories about his remarkable career overseas. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumors. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. As you just heard Yao Ji say, I am Adam Stanko. Please check out Yao Ji's music on iTunes. I am pumped about today's show because I'm bringing on a longtime friend and the ultimate basketball junkie. He is incredibly passionate about hoops and has a, a, a pretty remarkable career to, to speak about. And when we're done with the interview, I've got a little something to say about the San Antonio Spurs. Now, you might remember Matt Walsh as the floppy-haired, flashy forward who starred at Florida under Billy Donovan from 2002 to 2005. He burst onto the national scene as a freshman, and many loved him, and to be fair, probably some hated him, but there was no doubt he could play. And from there, Walsh played in the NBA for the Miami Heat. And though you may not have followed him for the last few years, he just retired after completing a remarkably successful career overseas. So Matt Walsh. Welcome to the Great Point Podcast. Thanks. I just have to agree with one thing. I think maybe more people hated me than loved me, but uh, <laughs> either way, that was, that was a good intro. Thank you. Let's get into full disclosure here. I first got to know you when you were in high school playing for Germantown Academy as one of the best high school players in the country. I'm one of the best high school teams that really Pennsylvania's probably ever seen, Matt, starring you, Ted Scuchis, who was nearly a seven-footer. I, I don't know if he was actually seven feet, but played at Vanderbilt. And uh, Lee Melchioni, who went on to play to play at Duke. And uh, we got to know each other fairly well. And as I was covering you, because we kept having you on the, the high school sports show I was working on at the, at the time. But, Matt, even before then, we'll get into some of those years, but even before then, what, what is your earliest basketball memory? My earliest memory. I mean, it's funny. I have a picture that my parents always showed me of me on like Christmas morning when I was like two years old shooting a basketball in a little Tyco thing. But I don't. I think that's more. I remember the picture. Uh, my earliest memories, you know, fifth and sixth grade, going to tryouts. Um, I, I pretty much played basketball since the time I could pick up a ball. Growing up, I played basketball, baseball, football, but uh, basketball was always my first love. And when did you realize that you were better than? all the other kids you were playing with? Um, well, actually, I was pretty small growing up. Uh, as a freshman in high school, I mean, I was always good and skilled, but as a freshman in high school, I was only like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, so I, I didn't even make the varsity. And I was so competitive that that killed me. So I remember my first JV game, I literally, against Hatboro Horsham, where Matt Carroll played, um, I scored like 27 points in the first quarter. I was so mad. That I, that I didn't make varsity. And then from my freshman to sophomore year, I grew six inches, and I went from not playing varsity to being the player of the league in the year, of the year in the Interact League. So 
that was when I realized, like, all right, maybe I have a chance to be pretty good. So you are dominating as a as a sophomore then in high school at uh, Germantown Academy in Pennsylvania. And as I just mentioned, your Scoochus and Melchioni also ended up with you know playing D one college ball at that time. How good were those two? Well, you know, I was always like kind of the third wheel, especially coming in as a freshman. Like I said, I was small and skinny goofy kid with like big feet and long arms but um those guys played uh like started um freshman year on varsity so the next year i kind of just burst onto the scene and i remember as freshmen those guys getting letters from colleges and i wasn't getting anything and it just uh i'm probably the most competitive person you could ever meet so that just drove me insane so i worked so hard and i remember the day i got my first letters from penn state from then on you know i, I mean they were very good players but i mean I went, I rose to like a little bit different level. And I think it was mostly just because I was so competitive. I couldn't stand to see like my teammates getting more attention and, you know, um, from college and stuff like that. I guess the real question is how did you grow? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I always joke and say I, I took my vitamins cause I, but I, people think I'm crazy when I say this, but like growing up, I was always like, all right, well, Michael Jordan is six, six. So I have to be six, six. And people think I'm crazy, but, like, I just believed that my whole life. And, you know, my dad's only six foot, my mom's, like, five eight, But somehow I, I'm six six. So I just believe that I, like, willed my way to be the same height as Michael Jordan. I, I, I absolutely love that. You came up in an era, early 2000s, that I, I really believe is when high school basketball changed. I mean, people have argued for the good or the bad, but it's just been an evolution. And I think you were sort of the first generation where kids were starting to play on the national stage. If you had a good high school basketball team, there were now opportunities in the early 2000s for kids to to play against the other best players in the country, which really before that time didn't didn't exist. So as you guys uh, developed this this super team, what was the early beginnings for you in terms of getting to play against some of these other great players nationally? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that is the first time. And, I mean, obviously now, you know, they have games on ESPN all the time. But, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, I remember just my sophomore year, We, you know, every year we went to the slam dunk to the beach tournament in Delaware, mm-hmm. and all the best teams from the country would go and play there. I remember T.J. Ford's team from high school was amazing. Or Eddie Griffin. And pretty much by my junior and senior year, we were playing our league games, and then every other game was either a national tournament or we were playing a showcase game against, like, for example, my senior year, the first game of our season was against LeBron and his high school team in Akron, Ohio, at University of Akron or Akron University. And pretty much all our games were like that. You know, we would seek out the best teams across the country and play them. And we played it, I think it was called Primetime uh, Tournament in New Jersey. And I remember uh, Carmelo's team at Oak Hill was playing against LeBron. We were playing against all the best, all the best teams in the area. So, it was cool. I mean, I pretty much had like a taste of what college was going to be like three years before I even played a game in college. Yeah, I think that's interesting, especially uh, obviously the LeBron portion. And I, I covered you, I remember, at Slam Dunk to the Beach, and so many great players and teams were down there. I've tried to tell people about this tournament, this tiny high school gym, just, you know, 60, 70 teams playing over the course of, you know, like a four-day stretch over the Christmas holidays. Tyson Chandler yeah. and, like yeah. you said uh, – Carmelo LeBron, it was, it was unbelievable. All those guys that were on T.J. Ford's team, Daniel Ewing and such. But first, let's let's talk about the LeBron game. And 
what you thought of him at the time and what your memories were from that game. Well, it's funny. I remember being on, like, our team's van. You know, we land at the airport, and we go in the van, and talking to the bus, the van driver, I was sitting in the sun, and I was asking about him, like, is this guy really as good as they're saying? And I'm thinking in my head, like, he can't possibly be this good. Because at this point, it was after he had dominated uh, Adidas camp in the summer, and I was just like, man, he can't be that good. So we went into the game the next day, and the first quarter, he had, like, 15 points, and I think he made, like, or 17 points, and he made five threes, including uh, including a three-pointer fading out of bounds at the end of the quarter. And I just remember looking around being like, oh, man, like, we are in trouble. Because <laughs> this guy is incredible. I mean, he was he's, he lived up to the hype and then some. I mean, even then. And it's funny, I remember he ended up with the most insane stat line. I think he had like 38 points, 17 rebounds, 11 assists, and like 10 blocks or something. And I always I don't tell people that part of the story. I just tell them that I had 28. But um, <laughs> after the game, uh, we were shaking hands, and he was like, man, you're like, good game. Uh, you know, I'm going to come visit you at Florida next year. And I looked at him, and I was like, man, get out of here. You are not coming to visit me at Florida. You are going straight to the league where you belong. Oh, that's phenomenal. He was one of the, the best high school players that, that I've certainly ever seen. I mean, um, I saw Kobe and, like you said, Carmelo. But I, there's something different about LeBron. I, I don't know. I, I've tried to explain it to people. And unless you were there during that time, you know, obviously the national televised games and all those kinds of things. But just the, there was just almost a different level of play. One interesting thing about your time during high school was I remember bringing uh, my brother to to a couple of your games. He was, he was a big fan of watching you play. He was a couple of years younger than me. He was at Syracuse at the time. And we go to your game, I want to say against Malvern Prep. And it's a fond memory that I have of you. You, you win the game, uh, dominate late, and then give the crowd like that throat slash motion, which I, I always <laughs> loved. Where, where did your fascination, let's call it, with riling up the crowd really start from? I think it I think it came from like I said earlier, like um I hated the fact that anyone could be better than me and, and that anyone could be perceived as better than me. So I got to GA, this great school, you know, eighth grade I was the best player and then all of a sudden like I'm like a five nine little boy playing against you know, because even before I was there we had a great program and it just drove me crazy. So I worked so hard and I was just so competitive. I had this like edge about me that I couldn't even really control so when I would get in these environments and they would be you know killing me the fans would be like I it was just something natural I'm like all right well I have to give it back to them and um that pretty much stayed with me my whole career how much did you enjoy being the so-called villain at least at that time I loved it you know I love it right up till the end of my career I always said like if the fans hate you you're doing something right because they don't hate like the guy that's not that's not doing anything against them that's you know the guy on the bench so I always looked at it kind of like a badge of honor, like, all right, you know, I'm a freshman going into Kentucky and the whole stand, you know, 30,000 people, whatever it is, are chanting S.U. Walsh during warm-ups. Like, obviously they're doing it because, you know, I've done something right up till this point this year. It's not like they're doing that for, for a guy that they're not worried about. Well, let's talk about just your college career. First of all, you, you head to Florida to play for Billy Donovan. How did that decision come about? Take me through your recruiting process. Well, like I said, I kind of started the process a little bit later than most guys, I think. But then after my sophomore year, I got uh, I started getting letters from anyone, and then I went to Nike camp. I got a late invite to Nike camp, and 
pretty much by the end of my recruiting process, I could pick anywhere I wanted to go. And I was really heavily recruited by Maryland, and I loved it there. Um, but Billy Hahn was actually the guy that recruited me, and he ended up taking the LaSalle job in the city here. And I always pretty much knew I wanted to go somewhere else other than the Philadelphia area to play just because I wanted to experience something new. So after the Maryland thing fell apart, because uh, I pretty much committed there, not 100%, but pretty much told them this is where I'm going to go. I opened it up and I planned trips to University of Florida, Arizona, UCLA, and Stanford. And the first one, this was back before, I think now they have early recruiting where the colleges can pay for it, but this was back when, you know, we had to pay for it ourselves. I took a trip to Florida and pretty much like two hours after I was on campus, I was like, all right, this is where I need to be. Wow, you got to tell me this part. <laughs> well, one... I love Coach Donovan, like right from the start. I love Coach Donovan. Coach Anthony Grant recruited me, Donnie Jones. I love those guys. I had a great rapport. So as soon as we get on campus, you know, they take us to the O-Dome and they have the whole lights go out, welcome to the House of Horrors, which is really cool. Like on the locker room, they have like a custom-made headband for me. And then, to be honest, we start walking around campus and I'm looking at these girls walking around campus getting ready to go to class in like bikinis and stuff in the middle of February. I'm like, all right, yeah. This is pretty much going to be the easiest decision of my life. <laughs> I think anyone would have been would have been sold at at that time. One thing that I I found really fascinating about about your career was you walked into Florida and unlike most heralded players, you found success right away. So your freshman year, very first game against Louisiana Tech, you scored twenty six points, have five assists, four steals. At what point did you realize, wow, I can really play at this stage? Well, it's funny. You know, when I was evaluating, I mean, I love Florida, but when I was evaluating everything, I remember being on the plane ride home, and I didn't commit to Florida when I was there and talking to my dad. You know, at that point, they had James White uh, committed to go there, and they had so many good players. You know, we talked about, you know, what if we get over-recruited? I remember saying to my dad, like, well, you know, I'm just going to make it so that I'm the guy that other people are worried about being there. Like, I'm going to be the one that, like, I, I'm going to be the one that people are worried about instead of me worrying about people over-recruiting me. So I just kind of took the attitude, like, I'm going to be the best player, so it doesn't matter who they bring in, I'm going to play. And I remember going into when the season started, you know, we had Christian Dreyer, who at the time was, you know, one of the best players in all of Europe, uh, James White, and I was probably third on the depth chart at the three, and I just, like, killed them, killed everyone. And uh, I, mean, I was probably, and I, I mean, this is, we had great players on the team, David Lee, Matt Bonner, but I probably had the best preseason out of anyone. And I just, I, I was so, I played angry, and I was just, every day of practice, I practiced so hard. I was like, I'm going to have to earn every single thing I got. I mean, I didn't expect to have 26 points in my first game, but it wasn't that much of a surprise to me because, I remember when Coach Donovan told me, like, I was going to be the starter. I knew it, I, I, that I had earned it because I was beating out guys who were, you know, that, the best players at that level. Was that your first nationally televised game? Because I, I, I remember watching Dick Vitale going berserk over you, and I'm trying to yeah. think of what the game was. Yeah, it was my first game ever, and um, it was funny because, uh, like, a few days before then, Dick Vitale had done – like um, a report on us in our incoming class uh, on ESPN or something. And he talked about, or maybe it was even during the pregame, I can't remember. And he talked about, you know, Anthony Roberson had star potential, some other guys. And 
it was he said something like, "Yeah, Matt Walsh is going to be a solid contributor for a few years, but like you know he doesn't have what it takes to be like a star or something." And then I went out and I had 26 points, and I remember that game I had like two dunks. And after the game, he interviewed me and was going crazy. Oh, he's a pee pee bear, and I kind of wanted to say to him like, "Yeah, but I I heard what you said, and you should eat those words." <laughs> well, I felt like all of a sudden the basketball world knew who you were, and I, part of me was. Um, a little let down. I was thrilled for you, having known you personally. I was I was thrilled for you. I was so happy for your success at that point. But I remember being a little bit disappointed because it was the kind of thing like, you know, when you hear some underground rap group or something and you think the world is them and all of a sudden they hit mainstream. That's sort of how I felt like overnight everyone knew who you were after you had uh, performed on national television. How did your life change? I was just going to say, I can certainly tell you that I don't know if everyone knew me, but my life definitely changed i mean i remember i got when i got done the game my message box on my phone was full voicemail was full i mean i had messages from teachers from high school i wouldn't be surprised if i had a message from you i mean i everybody who really like cared about me left me messages it was so nice and then i went out that night and yeah my life certainly changed and everyone knew who i was on campus um, you know, everywhere we went, oh, come on in, Matt. Like, you know, you want this table, you want that table. Everywhere, going to class, everyone knew who I was. That week they ran an, uh, an article in Sports Illustrated about the best freshman in the country, and it was like me and Carmelo Anthony and I think Rashad McCants. So it was pretty cool. I mean, I didn't expect all that, that's for sure. Um, but it definitely altered the path in my life. I'm always interested in how much – you know, okay, your life changes, but how much do you change at that point? Um, I mean, I don't think I changed a lot because, like I said, I, especially back then, maybe towards the end of my career, once I had kids, I relaxed a little bit, but I just played with such an edge and practiced with such an edge, and especially on the court, I didn't change at all. And I think off the court, I was kind of still like a dork like I am now. So it, it wasn't like I was walking around with this big head. Maybe the only thing I took liberty with was I, I, I skipped a few classes. <laughs> that was probably it after some late nights. But, no, I mean, I, I really I don't think I changed a lot. And um, my, my grade school coach, Dan Craig, who uh, passed away a few years ago, he always used to tell me that that was his favorite thing about me. He's like, never change, Matt. You've never changed and, and never do change. So I kind of took pride in the fact that I was still the same, the same guy. Plus, my other freshman there, Rashid Al-Kaleem, who's my best friend, Mario Bogan, some of those guys who were I spent every day with, they weren't playing and stuff. So I was very sensitive to, you know, their feelings. And we were best friends. So I, I think that if I would have tried to change, they would have jacked me up or something. That's that's really cool. It's really cool to hear hear you say that. What was it like on a day-to-day basis to play for Billy Donovan? It was awesome. I mean, I, I joke with – dinner with him uh, last summer out in Vegas, and I joked with him, and I always tell him, like, you know, you really screwed me and ruined, uh, like, my experience with the rest of the coaches in my life, because Gainesville and playing for Coach Donovan and Coach Brand, those guys, it was like basketball heaven for me. You know, I was so competitive. We competed so hard, and Coach Donovan knew more about basketball than anyone I've ever been around. It was like heaven for me. Like, I would have literally ran through a brick wall for Coach Donovan, and then some of my other experiences, in Europe and, uh, you know, abroad, I play for guys who, you know, wouldn't be, you know, good enough to coach my my eighth grade team. And it just drove me crazy. It was like, oh, I'd do anything 
to be able to just play for Coach Donovan for one more game. Tell me some of that. Look, what is it about him, you know, while he's out coaching you that's just different from these other guys? Well, I mean, a lot of people might say, oh, Coach Donovan's crazy. He yells so much and stuff, and that never bothered me. But, you know, the thing was, Coach Donovan would get crazy and yell and stuff, but you knew that he truly cared about you, not only as a person. And I respected so much what he knew about the game. I mean, he was just incredible offensively, defensively. The things he would tell you, you'd see how it would come out in the game. And I just trusted him 100%. Uh, as how, like, I knew he cared about me. I knew he knew the game so well. So whatever he said, I did, and I never questioned it. And I wish I would have taken that attitude with the rest of my coaches in my career, even if it wasn't right, because I probably would have uh, been better off. But, I mean, every day was just the best, you know, competing so hard, the best energy level. He just knew how to get the most out of me, whether it was, you know, cursing at me one day or picking me up. It was just he knew he kind of he had such a good feel for what each person needed, and he got the most out of guys more than anyone else I've ever been around. You said to me before you have zero doubt that he'll have success at the NBA yeah, none. level. None. I mean, I I promise. I mean, I would be totally shocked if you don't start hearing things once practice starts. How how much the guys love him the energy brings. I mean, he's so competitive, but, you know, a lot of people say when college coaches go, oh, well, will he be able to deal with, you know, the egos and the NBA and stuff? And Coach Donovan is so good with people. He is going to do amazing there. And uh, they're my new favorite team, so I'm looking forward to, you know, now that I'm done playing, being able to go down and see them play and see them play when they play in Philadelphia. So you had some loaded teams, as obviously you've alluded to, while you were at Florida, I mean, you know, you bring up all these great players, David Lee, Anthony Roberson, James White, obviously yourself. What was the most talented team that you had played on as a Gator? Well, you know, it's hard not to say my junior year because Joe Kim and Al Hortford and Corey and Torian, those guys went on to do such great things in the NBA. But, I mean, as a freshman, we had Matt Bonner as a senior who was incredible. We had David Lee, who was a sophomore, James White, Christian Dreyer, Anthony Roberson, Justin Hamilton, who's still playing in Europe. We had an incredible team. And, I, I mean, I kind of half joke and say that for whatever reason, you know, we, we underachieved pretty much probably two out of my three years there. But, I mean, that team was so good. And I don't know what it was. Well, we, we had a tough draw in the tournament. But if I had to pick any team that I could go back and play with again, it would probably be my freshman year you usually don't hear that. That's pretty, that's pretty, especially playing with guys that end up going on to win national championships. How much pride do you take in the fact that after you left, and we'll get into to you leaving, but after you left, yeah. the guys going on to win national championships? I take so much pride in it. You know, I remember someone once told me, like, a general's only as good if he leaves his troops. And, I mean, I make no allusions to the influence I had on those guys. I mean, those guys just got so much better and worked so hard. And they were just such a great group of guys together that they elevated each other. Uh, and I'm, by picking my freshman year team doesn't take anything away from that junior year team because I love those guys, Joe Kim. And I was in Chicago this summer. Joe Kim let me stay at his house. And when I announced my retirement, all those guys wrote me the best messages. So I love all those guys. Some people ask me, like, you know, is it hard for you to watch? And I was like, no, like, especially in Coach Donovan's program, like, I, you love those guys. You spend so much time together. You love the guys around you. So I was so happy when they won, and I took enormous pride in it. You know, I love saying I'm a Gator, and I have all kinds of Gator gear, and it's it's something that I will always take pride in. And 
I'm a little bit sad that Coach Tottenham is not there anymore. I feel like a little bit of me is not as into the Gators as, as I was, but I cherish those times more than anything. It'll make going back there a little bit different, I'm sure, for you. Yeah, I actually went I went uh, in May right after Coach left, and I met the new coach. They're great. I think they're going to be very successful. It's just it's a different feeling walking in the practice gym and in that building without Coach Donovan there. Now, there were stories nationally that you had dated a, a Playboy model during that time, and you're married now, so I don't want to get you in, in too much trouble. No, no, you didn't trust me. My wife knows everything. You won't get me in any trouble. <laughs> I want to know how wild things actually actually got. Well, during your, uh, you're, you're retired now. You don't have to worry about it. But how wild did things get when you're, when you're at Florida? It was pretty wild. I mean, I was, like you said, I started dating a Playboy playmate. So, you know, I'm like a 20-year-old kid in college, and I'm going to the Playboy mansion for, like, midsummer night stream party. And I remember being like, this can't be real. Like, I'm hanging out with, like, the Lakers and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the cast of Entourage at the Playboy mansion. And, I mean, it was pretty cool. Um, I'm definitely not the kind of guy that, you know, was 100% basketball all the time. I love the game, but I definitely had my share of fun and partying. It was cool. We pretty much, not to get anyone in trouble, but had like the run of the town in Gainesville, and it was amazing. I mean, I wouldn't trade any part of my experience. I wouldn't change one thing. It was just absolutely incredible, and I look back and, and just smile and laugh because I had probably too many good times. <laughs> good for you. Off That's the air, I'll tell you some stories about some other guys. Okay. <laughs> I remember one time, I think it was when we beat, um, we played at Maryland, uh, and we beat them for the first time. It was when they just moved, to their, moved out of Coldfield House. And it was, I think it was the first time in something crazy, like 115 games that they had lost to a non-conference opponent. We beat them, and it was a noon game, and we flew home, and we were on the on the plane, and Coach Donovan had banned us from going to this place called the Grog House because there were some incidents and stuff there, but it was the most fun place. So I remember talking to, like, Bonner and the guys in the back, and I remember saying, like, well, if we all go, like, what's the worst that can happen? We're not all going get, to get in trouble. So then we go out, party all night. The next day we get to practice. We walk in our uh, uniforms and stuff, and Coach Donovan says, just turn the F around, all of you. Put on your track shoes. We're going to the track. And he ran us for, like, two or three hours straight in the 100-degree heat. And uh, I remember everyone being like, yeah, thanks a lot, Walsh. Like, well, we won't all get in trouble. So <laughs> that was a pretty good story. We all – they were all mad at me for about a day or two. All right. Well, I guess that leads to the question then. You're having all this fun. You're you're loving your time there. You know you're playing on a loaded team and you're leading these guys. Why leave after your junior year to go to the NBA draft? So, yeah, like I said, I absolutely love Florida. It was incredible. So, my junior year, we win the SEC tournament. I was SEC tournament MVP. Earlier that year, I had – pretty much broken my ankle. Not, I, I didn't break it, but I tore the bone capsule. I tore all three ligaments. I was supposed to be out for a longer time than I was. I rushed back. I had a great end of the season. So after the year, I went and trained with Joe Bunasar at IMG, and I just evaluated everything. And, you know, I really thought going into the draft I was going to be a first-round pick. So when with that, because I had great workouts before the draft, so I evaluated everything, and I said, look, like my dream has always been to play in the NBA. You know, if I go back next year, what if I do break my ankle? Or if I go back and I have a lousy senior year, where is that going to leave me? So pretty much what I evaluated was, is this going to be the best chance I have to play in the NBA and fulfill my dream? And I felt like it was. 
So then the draft came. Obviously, I didn't get drafted. I was devastated. I ended up going to Summer League with the Heat. After one Summer League game, I signed with them. I was so excited. And, you know, I played in the NBA for a little bit, but the biggest question I always get is, like, you know, do you regret it? They won the championship. And I always tell them, like, I don't regret it because even if it was only for 10 games, I got to play on the same team as Shaquille O'Neal and Dwayne Wade and Gary Payton and Anton Walker and Jason Williams. And, you know, Shaq used to give me rides home from practice every day. I'm like, how can I possibly say I regret that? Because I don't know what would have happened senior year. I'm sure I would have had an amazing time, but maybe I would have tore my ACL. Maybe something would have happened. Maybe I never would have even got to experience the NBA at all. So those were, that was my thought process. Obviously, when I didn't get drafted, I was devastated and thinking, oh, my God, I made the worst decision of my life. But I'm a big believer that you are where you're supposed to be. And I think everything that happened then and now led me to where I am now. So uh, I hope that answers your question. For sure. For sure. And I appreciate you, you sharing that. You know, again, where our lives sort of intersect, I was working for um, Comcast Sportsnet in Philadelphia at the time. I remember they were sending cameras over to your place. And I wasn't working directly with the guys that were working on, on that draft night stuff. And I remember they sent cameras over, everyone was excited. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, what had to feel like the longest night of, you know, one of the longest nights of your life, I, I assume. Can you take me back again to that, that particular night of draft night and what, and what that was all yeah, like? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, so we had, I probably had like 20 people over my best friends some close family um, like I said, I had a few teams that, you know, we thought I had a real chance of getting drafted between 20 and 30 in the NBA. And, um, Israel Gutierrez always tells me that he was in the heat uh, war room, and it was me and Wayne Simeon, the last two on the thing, and Wayne Simeon dropped. But anyway, so that night we have the cameras there, and my little niece is there, and it was, so, it was so funny. Comcast ended up showing it like a million times, my little niece coming up to me and being like, Uncle Maddie can we go in the hot tub now? And me saying like, hold on until I get drafted, then I'll take you in the hot tub cam. And they showed that as like a lead a million times. So, um, but obviously that night I was devastated, you know, I'm thinking, Oh my God, I messed up my whole life. I could be back at Florida. Instead, you know, I didn't get drafted. And that night I did have a few teams tell my agent, like we'll take him, but he's got to go overseas for a few years. And, you know, back then I thought going overseas was like going to play on Mars. So I was like, no way I'm not doing it. Like, so it was a rough few days, no question. I mean, I, I was devastated, 100% like broken and devastated. And then two days later, you know, I decided like, all right, well, Summer League starts June 5th or whatever it was. Back then they had a Summer League in Long Island, California. And I was like, now I just have to do what I pretty much had to do in high school and college was earn my way from, you know, from the bottom and find a way to make the team. But, I mean, make no question about it. I mean, I was devastated. It was probably one of the worst days of my life but at the same time I think it probably shaped a lot of who I am today and who I became as a basketball player after that how many of the names who were drafted that you didn't believe should have been drafted ahead of you were taken that that you still remember from that night honestly last thing you remember it was kind of more like a blur like sitting there being like oh my god because after Miami didn't take me at 28 I forget who was after there was like a few teams before then that I was hoping for, and then I thought really thought we had a great chance at 28. And then when Simeon didn't get picked like 25, 26, 27, I think the Pistons took Jason Maxiel when everyone thought they were going to take Simeon. I was like, oh man, I was like, they're going to take Simeon. 
So then when he didn't get drafted, it was more of a blur and a lot of alcoholic beverages and a lot of cursing from my friends. And <laughs> and then the next, you know, it's the next day. And I'm like, all right, well, it is what it is. got to start now the, the rest of my life. I love that you, you know, pick yourself up from that point, though. I mean, at the end of the day, those guys still had to show up at, at camp anyway and perform. And uh, a lot of those guys still don't make the team. You know, you did. And I think that's just that's awesome and a, and a huge credit to you. So you. did teams at the time, I'm always curious about this, did did they let your agent know why it was that, that they ended up passing on you? Yeah, I never got any, like, straight answers. You know, maybe that was my agent just not telling me. But um, to speak of what we were saying before, I'll never forget, uh, like, fly out to Long Beach, California, to go play for the Miami Heat summer league team. And, you know, I'm so pissed off. Like, I got to – and the Heat didn't have a second-round pick. Um, or else I would ho- I like to think that they would have taken me. So we had practice at, like, 9 a.m., and I was so, like, amped up. I was sitting downstairs in the lobby at, like, 7 a.m., and Pat Riley came down and kind of gave me, like, a funny look and kept walking. And then he addressed the whole summer league team before, and he spoke about, like, you know, Darrell Wright's got to prove himself this year and Wayne Simeon. And he looked at me, and he's like, and the first effing guy I see downstairs waiting is probably the guy that has to prove the most, Matt Walsh, who, you know, didn't get dressed and kind of, like, told my third team. And I was kind of, like, embarrassed at the time, but it just – I remember being like, all right, well, Pat Riley's going to single me out. Like, i got to find some way to make this team. Pretty so, cool. That's it's a yeah. pretty cool moment though to to think about to think about all that. So you end up with the Miami Heat. What is Shaq like in the car? <laughs> Shaq is the absolute best. Shaq is like what you see on TNT, and none of that can act. He's the absolute best. I mean, Shaq. I was I walked down to practice one day, and I lived in the Flamingo on South Beach, and some drunk driver had smashed my car in the parking garage. So I'm like, oh, my God. So I call my agent, Jason Levin. I'm like, look, you got to come down and take care of my car. I can't be late for practice. So I hop in the taxi. I go to practice. And after practice, I'm telling the guys in the locker room, like, yeah, it stinks. Like, my new car just got smashed up. Like, it's going to be out of commission for, like, two weeks. And the first person in the whole locker room is like, all right, well, don't worry. I'll give you a ride. He's shut. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to get to ride in Shaq's car every day for three weeks and it was pretty much like every day I felt like it was the best day of my life. Like I'm driving from, even if it was only like 20 minutes, like sometimes Shaq would like, we'd get over to South Beach. He'd be like, you want to cruise around for a little bit? I would be like, hell yeah, I want to cruise around with you, Shaq. And at the time he had his, uh, like it was this big infinity truck with the police lights on it because I guess he was like some sort of policeman down there. And we would like run through lights and he would like, if, he, if we saw like a hot girl on the street, he'd put on like the, the lights and, it was, it was just incredible memories. I mean, that's why, that's why, like I say, when when people ask me if I regret it, I'm like, how can I regret it? Like, I was at Shaq's house. Shaq was like my buddy for a few weeks. <laughs> When's the last time you talked to him? I haven't talked to Shaq in a long time. I saw him a few years later, and everyone calls him Big. I'm like, Big, what up? And at the time, I had shaved my head, so he used to joke and call me Brother Matt, like I was in the KKK. Cause he he was so mad at me. He was so mad at me that I shaved my head, and um, he used to joke. He'd be like, "Who do you think? Who do you think told them to bring you here, Walsh? Wash? He's coming. Wash? Who do you think told them to bring you here, Wash? He's like, you're here because I don't want you here. Yeah, but, and he he's he's the best. How how different was playing in the NBA and the practices in the NBA compared to what you endured in college? Well. I was lucky. I got I was out, when I was there. Stan Van Gundy was the coach to start the year, 
and Stan was so tough, but he was a lot like the same school as Coach Donovan, like tough but fair. And so I was pretty well prepared. Um, I was in great shape, and I had a great preseason. Um, I beat out a lot of guys to make the team. I shot the ball great. I never really felt like I was overmatched except for when I was playing against guys like Dwayne Wade, which everyone's overmatched against him. But I was so well prepared in terms of where I needed to be defensively. I made sure that I knew every play before training camp started. So I put myself in a really good position, but it was just like the certain guys like Shaq, like Shaq would hold the ball down low, getting ready to go dunk, and you would slap it as hard as you could, and it would just like break your hand. You wouldn't even be able to slap the ball away from him. Certain things like that I remember being like what a high level it was. But, you know, Riley was in the gym every day. Coach Spolster was an assistant coach then. So we were so well coached. It was just awesome being in practice. I mean, I'd be on a team where it would be like me, Gary Payton, Antoine Walker, and Alonzo Mourning. And then the other team would be, you know, Dwayne Wade, Shaq, Jason Williams. It was James Posey. It was just incredible. I've got a date for you. November 2nd, 2005. Do you know why that date is important in your life? November. Maybe it was the game in Memphis, first game. Yes, yes. <laughs> the only two points I ever scored. It's funny. I always tell people, I'm like, man, I was like, I got in the game at the end of a blowout, and I was thinking, man, this is easy. I scored on my first shot. Tell me about that night. Take me, take me through through all that. Well, it was awesome. You know, I was so excited. Our last game of the, they didn't tell me I made the team until I showed up for practice on the first day of the regular season. So it wasn't even like I knew. It was just kind of like guys kept getting cut, guys kept getting cut, and I was still there. And our final preseason game was against the Orlando Magic, and during the telecast, Steve Kerr congratulated me on making the team. And But I still didn't get anything official. And that night I went out with Alonzo Mourning and Udonis Haslam and I think Gary Payton, and we were sitting on the rooftop of some place. We got home real late in Miami, and I was like, guys I'm like I don't even know if I made the team and they were like oh don't worry you made it you made it I showed up for practice the next day and Pat Riley was waiting and he was like congratulations like and I was like man you couldn't have told me this like two days ago <laughs> so after that we the season started and I think we started the season on a long road trip or maybe right after that game went on a long road trip but I just remember being so happy to be there and we won the game that was in Pau Gasol Mike Miller and actually Anthony Roberson was on Memphis we had so many Gators in the game and I got to get in the game, and uh, even Van, Coach Van Gundy said something about me scoring after the game in front of the team. So I was just on cloud nine thinking, like, this is incredible. After that first year in, in Miami ends, how do you end up playing ball overseas? First year, I get cut, I think, like, beginning of December, end of November, pretty early on in the season after Jason Williams hurt his knee. They signed a point guard. I was, you know, 15th man, so I get cut. So I went to the D-League for a little bit. It was miserable. This was back when the D-League had just started. I was playing with, like, an ABA team called the Arkansas Rim Rockers, pretty much the opposite of what I've described as Coach Donovan's practices. It was like a circus. So I left there, trained at IMG all year, and then the next year I played preseason with the Nets. And that was when Vince Carter and Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson, Cliff Robinson, those guys were on the team. And I actually had an incredible preseason uh, I mean, certain games, I was the first guy off the bench coming in before their rookie, Antoine Wright. I played great. Um, I think I, like, led the team in rebounding in preseason, something, like, ridiculous. Um, but I had games where I had, like, you know, 9.8 rebounds. 
and I got cut the last day of training camp because um, I think Al McGinnis, the point guard from who played our, I, I forget his name. He was under contract, but had gotten like kicked off the team and they hadn't negotiated contract. So pretty much I was odd man out. They had 15 guys on the roster. So I, at that point I was like, I'm not going to the D league hundred percent. I didn't think there was a real high chance. I was going to get picked up by an NBA team. Obviously if I wasn't playing in the D league. So I told my time, Jason, my guy, well, you know, I have to make some money. I guess I have to go overseas. And about a week later I got an offer to go play in Greece and I went there and, Pretty much from then on, I was yeah, I was a European player. I went to preseason one more time, training camp with the with Miami a few years later, but and I played summer league a few times. But I've been a European player ever since. So you go over to Europe, you're playing in Greece. Can you give people a sense of what that's that's like to be playing in a foreign country as an American? I had never left the United States except for during Miami preseason. We went to Puerto Rico, so I'm like total. Don't know what to expect. So I fly over, and my mom flies with me. First time I'm going to Greece. have all my bags packed. Fly to Athens. Then I have, like, a four-hour drive. Some guy picks me up, like, barely speaks any English. um, Drives me to my house first. And we drive down this, like, dirt road. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. I can hear, like, chickens clucking, like, on the side. There's, like, a farm. I'm thinking, like, oh, my God. There's no chance I'm staying here. So we actually get to my place. It's actually like a brand-new apartment. It's fine. Takes me over to the practice gym, and I'm watching these guys play, and it's kind of like being back in Arkansas, Rimmark's D-League. It's just not organized. It's not what I expected. The level is just, you know, there's a few good players, and the level is so low. I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, this is European basketball. Like, and I got home that night from practice. I just watched, and I told my mom, I'm like, because she was staying a week, I'm like, Mom, like, I'll stay the week, but in the week when you go home, I'm going to go home too. And that was pretty much how I felt right away. And obviously everything turned out okay, but I, it was a total shock to me. Um, and the team ended up being okay, some high-level players. Uh, but it was definitely a shock. All right, but obviously that doesn't encompass all of European basketball. So uh, no, take me from- the team ended up being the team ended up being good. We ended up actually making the playoffs for the first time in the club's history. But, you know, it was kind of just like I'm jet-lagged, I'm getting off a plane. I just literally just got done like a few days later playing a preseason game where I was on the court at one time with me, Jason Kidd, Vince Carter, Richard Jefferson, and Cliff Robinson, the five of us. And now I'm watching, you know, this Greek practice where they're speaking in Greek and, you know, they have young guys in there who, you know, wouldn't have started for my high school team. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, what am I doing here? And, you know, eventually I embraced it. And, you know, some of the players were pretty good. But And there's, I mean, there's levels in Europe that are, you know, that beat NBA teams in preseason some years. But this was just my first experience and my first reaction. All right. So after playing in Greece, then you go over and play in France. How is that experience different for you? Well, actually, I played in Greece. And then the next year I played in Spain. You know, every country every country was different, and it all depended, you know, pretty much my level of happiness and how it went was based on how basketball went. I played for some very good coaches. I played for David Blatt for a time when I was in, uh, in Greece. Years later, I played for uh, Coach Barzokas, who won the EuroLeague Championship with Olympiacos, and then I played for some coaches who, I'm not kidding, I wouldn't want coaching my son's CYO team. So it all just pretty much depended. I mean, every every – country was amazing in different ways. I loved everywhere I played. The leagues are different styles. You know, France, 
for example, is super up-tempo, very athletic. Um, Spain is a little bit slower, more methodical. They, the coaches think that they invented basketball there and nobody plays over like 22 minutes. So it just it just really depends. Every country was different, but I loved every country for a different reason. What kind of advice would you give a guy who's 15th man on an NBA team and now is about to head overseas to deciding that, all right, now there's some offers that have popped up overseas and, and that's that's the best route. What advice would you give a, a player in that situation? My biggest advice would be that the absolute best thing you can do is to embrace where you're going, embrace your team, embrace the coach, embrace every part about it, and try and make it as best as possible. Because my first few years, I fought it so hard thinking like, man, I should be in the NBA. I deserve to be in the NBA. And it made my life miserable because all my life, my head was in the NBA, but I was still playing in Europe. And if you embrace it, as I did, you know, the second two-thirds of my career, you can have an amazing time. I got to see the world. I got to meet incredible people. I have some friends all over Europe who will be my friends for the rest of my life. But if I didn't take the – if I didn't change my mentality and think to myself, like, all right, this is where I'm at, I wouldn't have had such a great experience. And I think that's – when you hear guys say, you know, they hate Europe, you know, some guys who played in the NBA or played at a high-level college and they can't do it, I think 99% of it is just the men- mentality that you take going in. You said sort of the last two-thirds of your career over there. So when did it change for you? I guess it changed, you know, after my second year in Spain, um, I was I went to Spain, you know, I didn't get along with the coach. I was miserable. I ended up switching teams and going half, like, well, two-thirds of the way through the year to play in Belgium, in Charlois. And I had incredible teammates there. Justin Hamilton, who I played with at Florida, who was a senior when I was a freshman, was on the team. And I had so much fun. And I remember thinking, like, man, like, you know, this this could – like, this isn't that bad. And so I think after my second year, how I kind of, like, self-sabotaged myself because I – you know, I had a good year, but I ended up, like, having to switch teams because I didn't get along with coach, more so because, you know, I was just so miserable – and then I went to Charlois, and we won the championship and had so much success. I remember thinking, okay, well, this is where I'm going to be. So I can either be a jerk and miserable, or I can embrace it and have an amazing time, and I still get to play basketball and make money and see the entire world. And I just kind of had it an, an awakening, and I was like, all right, this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm not going to complain anymore. How much of that desire to be in the NBA and, and be playing – in the U.S., how much of that is for your own satisfaction and how much of that mentally is for wanting it for your family and your friends? Man, probably, man, that's a really good question. I mean, for me, at first, it was my whole life, especially from, you know, high school on, it was I'm going to play in the NBA and, you know, I'm going to be, you know, like like Reggie Miller because I was a shooter. That's who... That's who I am. That's where I belong. And I would see guys who, you know, I played against in college and played better than, or I felt like I was better than playing in the NBA and being thinking to myself, well, why am I not there? And then at the same time, I got that little taste of the NBA, and my buddies got to visit me and my family. Even the second year when I played New Jersey preseason, we, we played the Sixers, and my whole family came, and every one of my friends probably bought like a couple hundred tickets. So at at the same time, I'm thinking, I deserve to be there. I feel like I can play in the NBA. And I'm letting my friends and family down because, you know, they expect me to be there. 
So there's all those kind of expectations. And finally, when I just let those go and was like, this is, this is where I am. So I'm not going to worry about stuff I can't control is when I really started to enjoy myself and when my career took a, a turn for the better. What's your proudest moment playing overseas? My proudest moment. Um, well, I would probably say I got MVP at the finals twice when we played in, in Belgium, and it was the most fun I ever had. Uh, we had guys on the team from, like, age 23 to 40, and it was just so much fun. We had five or six Americans on the team. Justin Hamilton was on the team. And that feeling of winning the championship, I don't care where you are, you don't get a whole lot of chances to win a championship in your life, and there's no feeling like that winning. Um, if I could, one thing I could change about my career, even though I got a chance to live all over the world, is I probably never would have left those guys. I would have stayed there and, you know, done it for another seven or eight years because I never had fun like I did there winning. And there's no substitute for that feeling of winning a championship. No doubt about that. There, there's yeah. no doubt. How about your wife? Yeah, how did did you meet her while you were overseas? Yeah, obviously you met her while you were playing overseas. How did you meet your wife? Well, I every summer when I came home, I trained at Impact Basketball in Las Vegas with Joe Bunasar. And my wife, she actually went to LSU, so we're two SEC people. Um, my son will be raised a gator, for the record. Um, <laughs> but she was living in Las Vegas working, and my buddy, Jason Giambi, baseball player, um, owned a club in the Hard Rock Hotel called Vanzi, a nightclub, and she was a bartender there. And I would go in all the time because I knew I could drink for free. And we met there, and I met her about a month before I was set to leave for France. And she came and visited me about a week after I got there, and we haven't been apart since. That's really cool. How difficult is it to maintain relationships with friends, family, and all that when you're playing overseas and bouncing around overseas? Um, it's a lot easier now. I, I, I always joke with the older guys who, you know, I, I had one teammate, Andre Riddick, who played in, like, the mid-'90s, and he used to say he used to have to, like, send a letter home I would get there a few weeks later for, like, an appointment to talk to on the phone on, like, a Sunday, and he would have thousands of dollars in, in phone bills. But now with Skype and FaceTime and Facebook, it's kind of like my family and friends know where I'm going to be over there, and they know they'll see me a few times a year, and then they'll see me in the summer. I don't really – I didn't really feel like I was missing anything except for, except for you know, like, the fun events and everything that normal people get to go to, weddings and all that. It's, I'm excited to be able to do the normal things again. So just real quickly, I want to just run through some questions. Just if you could answer them quick and uh, just some rapid fire questions here. So okay. best player you ever played against? Chauncey Billups. Why? He's the ultimate winner. I played with him every summer in Vegas. When my first instinct was to say Vince Carter or Dwayne Wade, because I practiced against those guys. But, guarding, seeing Chauncey Billups win every single game he played every summer for like seven summers in a row is, he's the ultimate winner. He was the toughest toughest player ever. Best player you ever played with? Ever played with. In terms of just talent or as a teammate? That's up to you. Teammates? Uh, man, I've had too many. Uh, in terms of talent, there's nobody like Shaq. Shaq, if anybody does an all-time team and doesn't take Shaq as their center, I can tell you they're wrong. Because I saw Shaq dominate people. Unlike he used to make Alonzo Mourning seem like a little boy, 
he's just incredible. I've heard the inside the NBA guys talk about Shaq and Kenny Smith said that NBA players all the time will say about big man. Well, but could he play in the league if he was six feet tall? And they say that Shaq, could, he was actually that skilled that he could play in the league if he was six feet tall. Yeah, Shaq was an absolute freak in terms of his athleticism. I mean, you can see he can break pants. He's seven foot two, 350 pounds, and he can break pants. I mean, he would have figured out a way. Uh, I have no doubt that if he would have never grown that big, he would have figured out a way to be in the NBA. Best advice that you could give a high school superstar basketball player? Best advice. Um, best advice. Let me think on that one. Ask me another rapid fire one. <laughs> uh, most valuable lesson you ever learned on a basketball court? Actually, these kind of go hand in hand. The, the best advice I would ever give uh, or a high school teammate or any basketball player, really, and I just spoke with some camps this summer, and I'd say the most important thing on a basketball court above anything is having fun and being a great teammate. It's what I've learned over my whole career. It's what the relationships that you build at the end of the day are more important than anything in the world. And like I said, I was the most competitive guy in the world and I thought winning was the end and it's probably what made me as good as I was, but the relationships you build and being a good teammate is more rewarding than anything you will ever do as a basketball player. Game you wish you could go back and play again. Villanova game, my last game in college. As a junior, because like, one, it kills me that a Philly team beat me in my final game ever, and two, I just didn't didn't have a great game. I think I had like twelve points and nine rebounds. But um, I just wish I could go back and win, find a way to win that game. And finally, how about the moment you talk about it overseas, but just the moment in your entire career that you look back on and you're most proud of? Winning the SEC tournament with the guys. I'll, I'll never forget, like, getting the net and putting the net around Anthony Roberson and David Lee. And I have the picture of us. That was on Joe Kim and Al and all those guys on the team. And there's a picture of us when we got back to Gainesville that night. And we all have, like, on our celebratory short, uh, shirts. And we still have on, like, our warm pants. And all the fans greeted us. And there's a picture of the whole team and the coaches. And we're all so happy holding up the trophy. And that was probably the single best moment I've ever had as a basketball player. I think that's almost the perfect uh, memory to end on. Matt, I appreciate you you jumping on, and uh, I, I really want to congratulate you on a fine career, and congrats on the retirement. I, I couldn't be happier for you. Thanks. I really appreciate it. I love doing it. I'll come on anytime. And, uh, yeah, let's hope we get to see a little bit more of each other now that I'm home. That sounds great, man. I'll talk to you very soon. All right. Thanks, Adam. Really appreciate Matt joining us on the Great Point Podcast. He's honest and incredibly talented. It was a blast going down memory lane with him. Very happy that he can now enjoy retirement with his wife and two children. I'm sure he will be extremely successful. In fact, I could guarantee it. He will be extremely successful in whatever path he decides to embark on next. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattyVincent44. One final thought. A friend of mine asked that when I close these podcasts, I give a personal take on something going on in the world of basketball. thought it was a pretty good idea, so I'm going to give it a try now. And my final thought is on the San Antonio Spurs. You know, when the Spurs signed LaMarcus Aldridge and David West this offseason, there were three reactions. Screams of joy from San Antonio fans who were thrilled to have such a big name on the roster. Groans from Spurs haters who knew the dynasty would continue to trudge forward. And those who fall in between. We're quick to offer up a, wow, should be interesting. 
But I think that third group is actually going to be disappointed because the new look Spurs won't be that interesting, at least to that group, the group that didn't find them to be particularly interesting before. I am not part of that group. I think the Spurs are fascinating, and I have news for those who find them boring. They are going to be just as boring now. LaMarcus Aldridge will not be the elixir that transforms the NBA's silver and black into the NFL's version circa 1970s. There aren't dramatic personalities and there aren't laser light shows. There's just employees who work at the winning factory, and they are exceptional at their jobs. You see, it's not the LaMarcus Aldridge's or the David West's of the world who interests me. It's the Jimmer Fredettes and the Ray McCallum's and the Kyle Anderson's, the other new Spurs, the ones who joined the club unceremoniously through free agency, a trade, and as in the case of Anderson, through last year's draft, all without much fanfare or attention. And they'll excel in this basketball utopia because Greg Popovich gets every spur to understand that winning in San Antonio requires nothing more than simply fitting in. Play along and you'll find success, just as the Dewan Blairs and Malik Roses and James Andersons did before them. The Spurs aren't just an NBA team, they're a niche. For most of the league's middle-of-the-road players, San Antonio is the literal example of, if you can't beat them, join them. And yet only a select few get the privilege. This year's team might not be interesting to many, even with LaMarcus Aldridge and David West, but I personally find winning interesting. And I can assure you that this group will be doing a lot of that this season. Well, I really appreciate you listening to this episode of the Great Point Podcast. Again, want to thank Matt Walsh for joining us. Catch him on Twitter at MattyVincent44. You can catch our podcast on Twitter at Great Point Pod. You can catch me, Adam Stanko, on Twitter at NaysmithLives. And finally, just want you to subscribe. Please subscribe on iTunes. That way, the episodes will just pop up as soon as we finish a new one. Really excited about some of the guests we have coming up in the future. And uh, as always, really, really appreciate your support. It's awesome to hear that the more than just myself is interested in, in the things that these people have to say. That'll do it for this episode, and we'll catch you next time.